All right. Oh, snap. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Good afternoon, New Philly. Just want to give a quick shout out to Sydney, to our Sydney team, and to our Sydney church plant. They are tuning in today through the video stream because uh, they're going to start gathering for Sunday services beginning today. And so let's continue to keep our Sydney church plan in prayer because God's got a powerful plan for Sydney. Amen? Amen. God is already doing incredible work through the churches in Australia. And we're going to join in with some of that work because we've got a role to play in that. And it's exciting. It's been Women's Ministry Month for the month of June. So although you might have seen some strong women up here, uh, for the last five weeks, uh, all the speakers and most of the worship leaders were all women. And women, the women of this house are powerful, amen? They are fiery. They're bold. They're not like the typical housewives or the typical... Bachelorettes, they're not the typical quiet Yamjanan Samonims, right? They know who they are in Christ and they are anointed to serve the house, to equip the saints as well. And so I just want to thank all the women. Let's take this time, let's just thank all the women for ministering to us for this past month. They did an awesome job. I'm excited to preach today. It's been a while, right? It's been a minute, but I'm, I'm excited to preach today. Because the men are also powerful. Hallelujah. And so um, I'm going to preach a message today. Uh, let's turn to John chapter 1. We always start... Well, I, I, Try to always start from Scripture. Because the most powerful messages are the ones that show what Scripture is saying. Are the ones that are moving in the authority, not of man's ideas, but of God's revelation. So let's look at John chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. And this is talking about Jesus. The author of John is using the English word word in the Greek logos. He's playing off of this word to talk about Jesus as the word become flesh. So look at uh, verse 14 to 16 with me. I'll read the ESV. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Amen. The Word of God here tells us today that Jesus came full of grace and truth. 
full of grace and truth. And out of His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Today I'm going to talk about the grace of God. The grace of God. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, what is the grace of God all about? We're going to turn through some scriptures today because the word grace is all over the New Testament. So we're going to look at a few passages today. Why don't you just flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at the opening greeting of this letter written to the church of Corinth. If you look at the opening of this letter, it says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Look down at verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Grace and peace. Now, this word grace in the Greek is charis. Everyone say charis. The word grace is used frequently in the New Testament epistles, the New Testament letters. It's also used in the benedictions, the closing part portions of the New Testament letters as well. And what it, was, what it was was actually, it was an addition to the conventional Jewish greeting of peace. The Jews used to always say shalom. If I say shalom. shalom. When they greet each other, it would be shalom. Peace be with you. And when they would write, I guess, letters to each other, they would also open up the letter in a similar way. Peace to you. Peace be with you. And what the New Testament writers do is they add the word grace into that opening greeting. Grace and peace to you. You know, a lot of times when we greet each other, you know, our greetings are not full of blessings, are they? Yo, what's up? What up, yo? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Eh, I'm doing all right. How you doing? How you doing? All right. But the Jews, when they greet each other, they blessed each other. Shalom, brother. Oh, I feel the blessing. Shalom to you. We get to the New Testament and they're doing grace and peace to you. Oh, hallelujah, brother. Thank you for that greeting. You know, we need to learn to bless each other when we greet each other. When we're saying, when we're saying bye, it's bye. See ya. It's like these obvious statements that have no consequences whatsoever, no ramifications. Maybe we should come up with new greetings and new goodbyes, right, that are full of blessing. Uh, if you look in First and Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, in both letters, verse 1 and 2, says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Are we getting creative now with the grace and peace? <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and tell them, grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the NIV it says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's awesome. We should greet each other like that. Amen? What would be in Korean? Unhe, unhewa. Huh? Pyeonghwa. What? Man, how come I got like five different answers here? All right. Yeah, yeah, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
All right. I'll learn the Korean later. Now, this sermon here today is not meant to be a comprehensive coverage of how the New Testament uses the word grace. But I'm going to break it down for you in three major categories that may help you to get your minds around how the Bible uses the word grace. Now, mainly we're going to look at the New Testament, okay? Because um, this is where the word grace, it just abounds. Uh, let's look at some scripture. Turn to Acts 11.21. And let's look at the first kind of God's grace that scripture talks about. Acts chapter 11, verse 21. Acts 11.21. Now what happened was the church was scattered because of persecution. And look at verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, Acts 11 verse 20, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And now when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now, how is the word grace here being used? What did Barnabas see? It says here, when he came to Antioch, he, he came and saw the grace of God. What's this talking about? Was it's the verse earlier, verse twenty-one? A great number of people were turning to Jesus. So when Barnabas saw this grace, this is talking about saving grace. Everybody say saving grace. Saving grace. It's the first kind of grace that I'm going to talk about today. Is saving grace. Now, a lot of people, they think that saving grace is simply talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. It's just talking about the blood of Christ spilled for your forgiveness and atonement. That's what a lot of people think about when they think about the grace, the saving grace for salvation, the, the saving grace, grace for salvation. But the Bible is much more holistic than that. Dare I say the, the Bible seems a little more Calvinistic than that. You see, saving grace is not just talking about the cross. Saving grace includes the very ability to respond to the message of the cross. If this grace is not applied to you, the message is going to just be foolishness. And so what happens here? As the church gets scattered, they go and they share Jesus. And there's a saving grace that is upon all these people, these multitudes of people. And all of them start turning to the Lord. So when the Barnabas showed up, he saw the saving grace that was evident among these people. And he rejoiced and he exhorted them. Saving grace. Look at Romans 3.24. I'll read Romans 3.24. Romans 3.24 says, We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified. We are saved from God's wrath and His judgment. We are saved by His grace, by His saving 
grace. And you guys know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? Everyone knows the famous verse. If you grew up in church, you, you would probably know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one should boast. You have been saved through faith, but it all starts by grace. By grace, you have been saved through faith. All right. So saving faith, uh, saving face, <laughs> saving grace, first thing it does for the unregenerate sinner is it establishes you in a new identity. The saving grace of God comes to the person who is lost, to the person who is alienated from the life of God, and it grabs that person, calls that person, brings that person into the kingdom, and says, you now are no longer a beggar. You are no longer an orphan. You have a new identity. That old life that you used to live apart from Christ, that old life is now dead. For you have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Saving grace establishes you in a new identity. And uh, it's very Christocentric. Saving grace is very centered upon the work of Christ on the cross. You know, the good old song, The Spiritual Amazing Grace. Amazing grace. And y'all all know the story behind Amazing Grace, right? You know, you know who the, the, the author of this song is? He's a white guy. Right? So this white guy, he was a slave ship owner. He used to beat slaves from Africa and he would transport them over into the colonial lands. He was a slave owner. Did some horrible things in his life. But you know, if you really look at the footnotes, it says lyrics written by what is it, Isaac Watts. What's his name? John, whatever, whatever, the, the white guy, the white slave, slave master, the, the former slave ship owner. Okay. But then it says melody, the music unknown. Right? That music, people say, he didn't make up that melody. It's most likely that he heard that melody being sung by these slaves that he was torturing and oppressing. So he picked up that melody from somewhere. And so uh, if you look at the melody, it's all on the black keys of the piano. It's called a pentatonics, pentatonic scale. I'm trying to remember my music theory right now. Right? So all the black keys, you can only uh, play Amazing Grace on the black keys because that's it's a pentatonic scale. And the reason why, anyway, man, I don't know why I'm getting into that. <laughs> Amazing Grace. Now, when you sing that song, what are you talking about? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. So a lot of times when we sing Amazing Grace, we think of grace, we think of saving grace. So it's very Christocentric. Now, this is what most evangelical Christians focus on. is the saving grace of God. But this is not the entirety of how Scripture uses the word. So today, I want to unpack for you that grace is more than your salvation. Grace is more than just amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Grace is much more than that. So I'm going to talk about that today. Let's look at Acts 
Acts 4.33. It says, With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon these apostles to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what is this grace talking about? It's not talking about saving grace here. All right, so keep that in mind. Look at Acts 6 8. Acts 6 8. It makes it even more explicit. There's a guy named Stephen. If you guys read the book of Acts, Stephen later ends up getting stoned. Spoiler alert Stephen gets stoned to death. And Acts 6 8, it says, Stephen, full of. Grace and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Right? It's not talking about Stephen full of saving grace and power. That won't make any sense. He was full of a different kind of grace. What is that grace talking about? Uh, look at Romans 12.6. Everyone turn to Romans 12.6. It's a real good one. Romans 12 verse 6. And uh, if you plan to keep coming out here to New Philly, I would recommend you pick up a copy of your own Bible and bring it with you. I'm all for smartphones and stuff, but I also believe it's powerful when you read your own Bible from the pages, your physical pages of your own Bible. There's just something about it. And you see the context, you know what I mean? And you get familiar with what that page looks like. Your smartphone, just, I found the verse. Oh, you're just glad you found the verse. You don't have to you know, save yourself embarrassment of not, look at the table of contents. Like, it don't matter here, all right? You need to look at the table of contents? Go to the table, table of contents. Go there without any shame, all right? But go find the verse you need to find, and let's read it together in your own Bible. So if you didn't bring your Bible today, don't worry about it. But in the future, all right, I'm putting the pressure on. Bring your Bible. Romans 12, verse 6. Check this out. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. Hallelujah. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, all the people in here who have a gift of giving, a grace to give, Give generously. Hallelujah. Don't hold back your offering. All right. I'm just, I'm just repeating what scripture said. Don't get mad at me. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What is this talking about here? What kind of grace are we talking about here in the last three verses? We're talking about empowering grace. The Bible doesn't talk about grace as just saving grace and that's it. That's the end of the story. No. It talks about an empowering grace. A grace that enables you not only to believe in the message of Jesus, but for you to be anointed to go out and do the ministry of Jesus. To do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. I'm talking about empowering grace. Another way you could say it is equipping grace. 
But I like the word empowering grace. You know why? Because although saving grace is Christocentric, empowering grace is spirit-centric. You need the Holy Spirit for you to experience empowering grace. You know, when the, the early church, they were in the upper room, they were waiting, the 120, they were gathered and praying, Acts chapter 1 and 2. Jesus told them, don't leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high, and then you will be my witnesses. What was, what was Jesus talking about? Jesus is like, look, you guys, now you believe in me and the work I've done on the cross and the resurrection, you believe in me. All right, you got the saving grace. But check this out. In a few days, there's going to be a different kind of grace that's going to come upon you. And it's going to come upon you by the Holy Spirit. For in a few days, you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be a new grace upon you to be bold. A new grace upon you to, to have deep insight into Scripture. A new grace upon you to plant churches. A new grace upon you to use the gifts God's given you to serve others effectively. Talk about empowering grace. It's, it's not just crystal-centric. Empowering grace is spirit-centric. And so, you know, a lot of evangelicals, man, they, they're afraid of Holy Spirit or they're spooked out by Holy Spirit. They're so cautious about Holy Spirit. They're not really making dialogue with how Scripture engages Holy Spirit. If you don't have Holy Spirit, you're not experiencing the power of the Spirit, you're not equipped by the anointing of the Spirit, you're missing out on a whole big portion of God's grace. You think you got all God's grace right in here in the gospel message, but I'm telling you, that's, that's, that's an important part. Hallelujah. Well, we just getting started. There's so much more to God's grace than just saving grace. There's the empowering grace of God. I'll read 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10 says, And each has received a grace. Now use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. If you want to be a good and faithful steward of God's grace on your life, you got to serve others. You got to use the gift that you got. If that gift is teaching, you better overcome your little fear of, of public speaking. You know, you think, you think, you think, you know, you get before the gates of heaven and you're like, Jesus, you know, I, I always suspected, you know, that I had the gift of teaching. But, you know, I had that little fear of public speaking. And you know what? I just, I just felt like I didn't get enough opportunities. And I just felt, I, didn't, I was too comfortable with not dealing with this. I, I didn't deal with it. I didn't use my gift of teaching. What do you think Jesus would say? Oh, it's all gravy. Come here. Let me give you a hug. All right. I'm sure he'll give you a hug. But not before he gives you a little smack or something, right? Or not before he gives you a good rebuke. Look, if you bury your talent, when you appear before Jesus, it's not going to be with great joy. It's going to be with a little bit of rebuke. You might be saved because of saving grace. But because you didn't tap into the empowering grace of God, you didn't serve nobody, you didn't use the gifts that God put inside of you, the varied grace that he put inside you, you didn't use any of that? That's the same thing as just burying your talent. Burying your gift. You're not going to get a high five from Jesus, I'll tell you that. We got to learn about empowering grace. The equipping grace. Um... I'll read Galatians 
In Galatians 2.9, the Apostle Paul talks about how he went to Jerusalem. And James and Peter and John, they perceived the grace that was given to Paul. They gave Paul the right hand of fellowship. How did James, Peter, and John perceive that Paul had a grace upon his ministry? How did they perceive that? They looked at what he was doing among the Gentiles. They saw that even though he was getting persecuted, he was getting whipped, he was getting right back up and he would preach the gospel in city after city after city. The Bible does not say that they perceived the diligence of Paul and said, oh, this is a hard-working fellow. We're going to give you the right hand of fellowship. Uh-uh, it doesn't say that. It said that they perceived the grace that was given to Paul. You know why? Because the things that Paul accomplished, I don't care how hard of a worker you are. There's no way Paul could have accomplished everything he did by just diligence alone. You see, Peter, James, and John were discerning enough that that wasn't just Paul's diligence. That was grace. So they perceived the grace that was on him. And they were like, man, I heard this guy's a persecutor. He used to kill Christians. But you know what? I cannot deny that the grace of God, the empowering grace of God is on this guy's ministry. We need to give him the right hand of fellowship. And I guess that was a high five. I don't know what they did. Right hand of fellowship. Yo, check, check it out. Here you go. I don't know what it was. But they gave him the right hand of fellowship. And in Ephesians 3, 8, similarly, Paul talks about how God had given him a grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This grace is not talking about just saving grace. It's talking about an equipping, an empowering grace. The Christian life is not about just getting a ticket to heaven. It's not just about escaping the fires of hell. Christian, Christianity is about grace. Not just saving grace. You know, saving grace is like really just a doorway. It's your entryway. We have too many Christians, they lay down at that doorway and they live their whole lives at the doorway. Now I, I, now, I understand it's important to go back and preach the gospel and understand that it is by the cross that we are saved. I understand all that. But man, there are so many religious Christians. All they do is they just talk about saving grace and that's all. As if that's, what the, that's the only thing and that's the only way that the Bible uses the word grace. And it's not. It's completely untrue. We're talking about empowering grace. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Korean American from the streets of Philadelphia, goes to war-torn Manipur, India, where the Naga people and the Kuki people, they're just killing people, they're kidnapping people, violence, guns, machetes, semi-automatic weapons. And because of my diligence, I got invited to preach in Manipur and be honored as a, as a as a powerful leader? No. It's by God's grace. I'm talking about myself. I went, I went and preached in India. <laughs> I went and preached in India about a year and a half ago. I remember I went and um, they had this kind of ordination ceremony for a pastor in the area. 
And this pastor was very well connected. So you had the town's um, policemen came out, the government officials came out, the mayor came out, like everybody and their mama came out, and they were all like double my age. And they were all sitting there, and they didn't know who I am. And then they gave me the mic, and they allowed me to preach the main message for this ordination service. That's a story of God's grace. And a guy just thought it would be funny. He thought it would be funny if he took this little kid from Philly that's doing ministry in Korea, pastoring the small church, brought him out to India, and just, just preached with boldness in front of all these old people who are, who are mostly very, most of them are very religious actually. They're very conservative or conservative or very religious. But you know what? They love my message. Hallelujah. <laughs> They were blessed, and they came up to me afterwards. They shook my hand. They were like, we were afraid of what you were, were going to say, but man, we, we, like, we like what you had to say, young man. You, you know, that's awesome, right? That's the grace of God. That's the empowering grace of God. Empowering grace enables us to do works of service. It enables us to fulfill the Great Commission. It enables us to do the will of the Lord. Empowering grace. Let's move on to the third kind of grace. Uh, Look at Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, what kind of grace is this talking about? Is it talking about saving grace? That it may give saving grace to those who hear? Stop, stop your curse words. Let no, uncorrupt, let no corrupt and talk come out of your mouth, but only words that build people up, that fits the occasion. You know, some people, man, they just say all kinds of encouraging things, but don't fit the occasion. Now, scripture, man, it, don't be giving me no generic encouragement. You want to encourage me, you better give me some customized words. Some words that are, that are fit for the occasion. Don't give me what these recycled encouragements that you used on five people already today. Hallelujah. <laughs> but what is it talking about here? Only words that are good for building up that it may give grace to those who hear. What kind of grace is this talking about? Is it talking about empowering grace? Uh-uh. Look at Acts 20.32. I'll read Acts 20.32 for you. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. The third kind of grace I want to talk about today is maturing grace. A grace that builds you up onto maturity. Maturing grace doesn't enable you just to do the works of Jesus. Maturing grace enables you to become like Jesus. Because God is interested more in who you're becoming than what you can do for him. The priority is always upon who you're becoming. Because when you become more Christ-like, the things that you do is going to be very powerful and fruitful. But if all you do is going through the motions and you're good at doing but you're not actually transforming and becoming, those doings, those services can be short-lived. So here in Ephesians 4.29, Acts 20.32, the word grace, I believe, is being used in a way 
where it's talking about building a Christian up into maturity. We need this type of grace in our lives as well. We need both the gifts of the Spirit. That's like empowering grace. Right? When, when Pastor Erin gets up here sometimes and she grabs the mic, and then we call up two people from the crowd, and usually I try to pick people that look mad hard, looking like they're all tough. Right? I intentionally pick them. So if you, if you don't want to be picked, you want to smile and say, wow. You know, but if you look real hard, I'm going to pick you out. And I love when they come forward to the front and then Pastor Aaron, she starts prophesying. She's not looking at your clothing and prophesying. She's not looking at your skin color and prophesying. She's looking to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires these prophetic words. And when she speaks them out, I always get a kick out of seeing these hard-looking men crying like a little baby. I remember last year, I did it like every week for like two months. I just got a kick out of every single week. I made sure I picked a hard-looking gentleman. Come forward and they just start crying like a little baby. And I'm thinking in my head, you ain't so tough, are you? Look at yourself. You're crying like a little baby. You look at all hard in the back. But now I got you. Jesus got you now. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to give you a hug after this too. What is that? That's, that's empowering grace. That's supernatural. That's not stuff that Pastor Aaron just picks up out of the natural. That is a grace. An unmerited gift that God deposits into Pastor Aaron to, to release into your life so that you feel like God is speaking directly to you. That's grace. It's empowering grace. That's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but maturing grace We're talking now about the fruit of the Spirit. Because what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Hallelujah. All nine right there. (laughs) If you really look at these words, these are words that describe a person's character. It's about who you are. Who you become, not what you do. The gifts of the Spirit is about what you do. Prophecy, working of miracles, discerning between spirits, the gift of tongues. These are things that you do. But the fruit of the Spirit is talking about a maturing grace that comes from the indwelling ministry of the Spirit that produces the character of Christ in your life. Brothers and sisters, we need both in our lives, amen? If you want to be victorious over your personal sin patterns and bondage, you need this maturing grace at work inside of you. The Apostle Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm going to start preaching right now. I'm preaching right now. Look, check this out. People of God... We need to be shameless about grace. Everybody turn to your neighbor and tell them, be shameless about grace. That's, that's the title of my message today. Shameless about grace. When you ask for lots of God's grace, there ain't nothing wrong with it. You don't ever have to feel ashamed. You don't ever have to feel embarrassed. You don't ever have to regret it. 
The people of God need to learn how to be shameless about God's grace. We need to be liberal consumers of His grace. It's not like God ever says, Hey, check this out. Man, you had enough, don't you think? Didn't you get my grace last week? You got it yesterday, actually. You got it last week, yesterday, today. Look at check that. You got a little bit too much, all right? Ease up a little bit. Now, God's never going to say that to you. God's never going to ask you, Why you keep depending on my grace? What, you think I'm God or something? Like, God never says that. God's more like this. He's like, you see this grace? You see that? What you got last week and today? And you should be asking for a little more because you need it right now. You see some of it? This is just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, there's so much more than this. I'm just giving you a little taste of the buffet. Why do you sit on the ground over there eating leftovers? I got, a, I got a hot buffet over here. Steak and shrimp. Crab legs unlimited. Sashimi bar. Oh, come on. I got a whole buffet out here. It's just the tip of the iceberg, what I gave you a taste of with my grace there. The Bible, when we read John chapter 1, it said, Out of Christ's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace we got to be shameless about God's grace because the the narrative that God wants to write through his people on this earth is a narrative of grace you know when you when you mess up and you fail stop saying lord i'm sorry for failing i'm sorry for sinning this way again lord i promise i'm gonna try harder Nah, man, that's just, you're, you're not getting it. If that's, the, that's the way you keep praying about whatever repeating sin patterns you might be falling into or whatever failures of character you keep falling into. That's just the wrong prayer. You got to pray more like, you got to cry out. Lord, I confess that I've messed up in this way. Lord, I confess that I failed to reflect your character in, in the way that I want. Lord, I, I, I confess, Lord, release your grace upon me, Lord. So that my efforts, when I make new efforts right now, they will be energized. They will be enabled by your grace to produce permanent transformation in my life. That's the way you got to cry out. That is a person who's shameless about grace. The person over here, they're still trying to make it on their own. They're, they're thinking, if I try harder, one of these days, I'm going to get it. The person over here, they know, man, if I keep trying harder all by myself, I just keep doing it on my own, I ain't going to go nowhere. Lord, I need your grace, Lord. Pour out your grace upon me. Help me to be who you want me to be. When I go on this mission trip, help me to do miracles, signs, and wonders, healings. I can't heal nobody, Lord. Come on, Lord, you know that. I don't, I'm not even good at taking pills. I can't take medicine. I hate medicine. I'm not good. I'm not a doctor, Lord. Even if you are a doctor, you can't do the things Jesus did when he came on the earth. Lord, give me your grace and I might do your ministry. I might do the works of service you're sending me out to do. You know, the religious spirit will tell you, you got to try harder. Be more strict. Read your Bible more. Pray harder. 
Learn more rules. That's the religious spirit. You're not feeling enough remorse. That's the problem. You're not being hard enough on yourself. That's the religious spirit. That's not me. (laughs) Y'all know my ministry. I don't do that. Right? I think somebody once said that religion cuts down the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and calls it holiness. Right? You guys get that concept? Did I say that right? Everybody look at me like, what? What tree? What are you talking about? <laughs> right, religion just takes things away. It takes options away. Like religion, let me just be real, right? Let me talk about alcohol, right? Some of y'all in here, you might have struggled with alcohol abuse and things like that. But for the smart thinkers, when you study the Bible, you realize that the Bible is not against alcohol. It's against drunkenness. It's against debauchery. Because when you, when you get all drunk and you get, fall into debauchery, you know what debauchery is? You're like, oh, I've never been guilty of debauchery. Debauchery is any time you get so drunk, you're like, <laughs> you're my best friend. <laughs> pretty much debauchery. You know, you're just doing whatever you feel. You, and you, know, you know when you both sober up, you guys aren't going to talk to each other. Or, you know, oh, you, you know, oh man, I don't know how pretty you were. Hey, you know, that's debauchery. You know, this false flattery, you know, that comes from a place. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. But, you know, and religion always treats the issue of alcohol as it's sin. No, it's just sin. So we're going to cut it out of your life. No, no drinking. If you're a leader of this church, if you're a pastor of the church, you ever get caught drinking, you're not going to be a leader anymore. And then you have issues with like, well, why did Jesus turn the water to wine? <laughs> Jesus promoted sin. Well, according to my church, he promoted sin. Why are the, these eschatological end times visions filled with wine that's overflowing? What is going on? Are we going to sin by the, by, when Jesus returns? We're we all going to get into a big debaucherous party? If drinking alcohol is sin, and that's your conclusion, you probably concluded it through a religious spirit rather than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you instead to be like, look, you got the freedom to drink, but there are certain things that should govern your freedom. For example, you shouldn't stumble nobody with your freedom. I got the freedom to drink. Yeah, yeah. Drinking is not sin. That's what my pastor said today. So I'm just going to take a drink. Hey, 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 small group members. Hey, come over here. Let's all have a drink together. <laughs> and three of your small group members are, are just coming out of a life of abusing alcohol. And they're just, they're just like, why is my small group leader like this, you know? If you're, if you're using your freedom to cause other people to stumble. Now, some people, you know what? They're convinced in their mind that it's a sin. And if that's the case... And you can't really convince them and you might not be in a position to persuade them. You leave them alone and you act in a way. You govern your freedom in such a way that you don't stumble them. Your freedom is governed by a higher law. A law of love. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches. That's, that's really, uh, it takes a mature mind to embrace this. So when the church is full of immature people, a lot of times the pastors, they get so frustrated. Man, why y'all st- keep sleeping with each other and getting drunk on the weekends? Why y'all doing that? Look, check this out. Drinking is sin. Right? That's what a lot of pastors do when there's a lot of immaturity in the house. But look, 
here at this community, there's a lot of people, y'all growing up into the mature thing. You get, you get mature. You know the word of God. I can't give you some simple, you know, religious rule. I'm going to teach you to be led by the spirit, to be governed by the rule of love, the, the law of love. Yeah, the religious spirit, man, it'll just beat you down. Say, you got to try harder. But this is what the voice of the Lord would say. The, the religious spirit would say, don't ever drink. This is sin. The voice of the Lord would say, son, I see your failures. I see your mistakes. And by the grace of my son, Jesus Christ, all of that has been covered by his blood. So you have full acceptance with me, my son. Don't ever feel like the immediate failures of your life separates you from me. No, it is in those moments you need to come running to me. And don't be so hard on yourself. You know, I always thought in Christianity, the problem was people weren't being hard on themselves. Until I met Pastor John Newfield. Or until I met, like, Brian Kim from ET1. And these people, they're so hard on themselves. I'm like, why are you so hard on yourself? You know, but I always thought in Christianity, the problem was people weren't being hard on themselves. They weren't being hard on themselves enough. But when when Spirit of God comes and starts prophesying over people, I notice a lot of times the prophecy that will go out is, don't be so hard on yourself, son. You're doing a great job. Your worship leading is blessing a lot of people. I'm so pleased with you. You know, those, those kinds of prophecies goes out. And I recognize, man, that is the voice of the Lord. That's awesome. And people just start crying. Especially, you know, if you talk to a lazy person and you say, you're being hard, on, don't be so hard on yourself. The, the lazy person will be like, eh? But a person like John Newfield or Brian Kim, who's already being so hard on himself, when you say, when you say don't be, the Lord says, don't be so hard on yourself. You say it real gentle, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> the moment you say something like that to them, they just, <laughs> just start crying like a little baby. Crying like a little baby. You know why? Because the religious spirit will always tell you, you got to be harder on yourself. The voice of the father says, no, I'm proud of you, son. You're doing a good job. And let me tell you, there's a lot of grace here available to you for you to do even a better job. But check this out. I just love you and accept you just where you are right now. You don't have to try harder to get more of my love. You already got it. You already got it. The Christian life is not meant to be a heavy and difficult burden. Amen? Yes, there are hardships, there are costs, there are sufferings and persecutions we face. But those are oftentimes momentary in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul was not getting stoned every single week. He did get stoned. He got whipped a lot more than others, but it wasn't every single day, every single week, all right? He lived to a long, old age. And during the course of all those many years, decades of ministry, he did get, get some suffering and persecution. But it wasn't all the time. They were momentary afflictions. The Christian life was not meant to be heavy and difficult. Christian life is supposed to be, this is going to rock your mind. 
Christian life is supposed to be easy and light. Oh, I messed some people up right now. That's not my words. Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All the religious people are like, man, Jesus, why you got to say it like that? We got to be harder on these people. These are lazy bums. You got to be hard. No, Jesus is like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. Come to me. I'll give you rest for your soul. The Christian life is meant to be easy and light because it's supposed to be a life of grace. Now, I'm not trying to discount diligence and hard work and obedience. There is a place for that in the Christian life. Without diligence, hard work, and obedience, all a per- and if a person, all they want is grace, 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 that person's life that they're aiming for, maybe they're aiming for a lazy get-by life. But you know, Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to live a lazy get-by life. He came so that he can give you life and life abundant. Say, everybody say abundant life. The abundant life is only experienced when there is both diligence and grace in a Christian's life. When there is both hard work and favor. When there's obedience and manifestations of God's goodness. The Bible says Jesus came full of grace and truth. Oh, there's a place for diligence in our Christian life. But the question is, which casts a bigger shadow in your life? Your diligence or God's grace? You know, the Apostle Paul, you know what he said about himself? He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, I'm the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be even called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. What's Apostle Paul saying? He's being bold here. He's saying compared to Peter, James, John, all these original OG apostles. Look, I worked harder than all of them. That's what Apostle Paul is saying here. It sounds a little bit arrogant, doesn't it? It Sounds a little bit arrogant, doesn't it? But the Apostle Paul is saying, check this out. Look at my life. It's a life that's filled with diligence, but it's also a life filled with God's grace. And he says it in such a way, and he says the bigger shadow is definitely on God's grace. I did my part. Oh, but God's grace did a much bigger part. That's the type of life that God wants us to live. Amen? Amen. It's a life of grace. You know, the world loves stories of people like Donald Trump. You know, people who go from rags to riches through hard work. People who study real hard. Right? Koreans, they're all about studying real hard. And whenever a Korean parent finds a child that has studied real hard and gotten into an Ivy League school, they always say, oh, why can't you be more like her? Why can't you be more like him? Don't you know God is so pleased with them because they work so hard and they study so hard? 
You know, the world loves stories of people who go from rags to riches, who goes from being oppressed to studying hard and going to Ivy League and getting a PhD and masters and all kinds of degrees. But the Bible, heaven, loves stories that are a little bit different. Heaven loves stories of fearful men, little wimpy, little scared, little little boy men <laughs> hiding hiding in a, a a threshing floor, afraid that that the uh, the enemy forces are going to come and take away all of the crops. And then the angel of the Lord comes and says. The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. The Lord is calling you. You, your little wimpy self. You got no military degree. You got, you got no military experience. But the Lord is calling you to go up against this huge alliance of millions, of millions of warriors. We're talking about Gideon right now. Gideon gathers up some people. He has thousands of warriors. And God says, no, there's too many of them. Why? Why does God say there's too many of them? God could have just delivered. He could have destroyed all those millions of people through the thousands and people would have still been impressed. Why? Why does God say, uh, uh, tell them this and if they say that, then send them away. And he sends them away and he sends them away until only 300 are left. 300 against millions. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> Hollywood ripped off a great Bible story, all right? It wasn't the, it wasn't, you know, this is Sparta. You know, it, it, <laughs> I'm talking about the movie 300 right now. It's not, it's not the Spartans who originated that story. That story comes from scripture. And it's not a story, you know, what, what is 300 about? These highly trained Spartans who have been trained as little children sent off into the wilderness to run away from wolves and stab them naked, half naked. You know, it's like this story of like Spartans who are mighty warriors and all this stuff. But the original Bible story isn't like that. There's a bunch of people that were very yamjune and they didn't want to get all wet when they drank the water from the river. And the God said, I want them. I want them little timid little warriors right there. Why? Why did God do that? Because God, heaven loves stories of grace. Heaven loves hard work. Don't get me wrong. But they, they're lining up to watch the narratives of grace. Not just of hard work. What kind of narrative is being written in your life right now? You see... My message, uh, shameless about grace. You know, a lot of times people, they get uncomfortable with grace. You know why? Because pride gets in the way. You know, those who are really shameless about grace, there are people that are humble. As the Bible says in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, it says the same thing. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want to be shameless about God's grace and you want to experience God's saving grace, empowering and equipping grace, and His uh, uh, maturing grace, you want to experience God's transforming grace in all of its ways, you want to experience that grace, you got to be humble. 
Because only the humble gets grace. The proud, God gets a kick out of opposing them. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What kind of narrative is being written currently in your life? You know, at the end of this year, I'm going to graduate from seminary. Yeah, yeah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yes, I'm praising God. I'm rejoicing. It's been over a six-year process of part-time studies while being a full-time pastor here at New Philly. It has been difficult. It hasn't been easy. And most of my classmates, when they graduate, they're going to look for a job. When I graduate, I'm going to be hiring people for jobs. And when people hear my story or they find out I'm already uh, a pastor in a lead position, they have such, they don't have a grid for grace in their minds. They just reject what I am. They reject that I'm a, a lead pastor of an English ministry. They just, it just doesn't register for them. It's so weird. And they all go, well, once you graduate and you get your ordination, you're, you'll be able to find something like that. And I'll be like, no, no, I'm actually already, I'm already walking in that. And then they'll be, they'll be like, what? Huh? You know, the story of New Philly, you really examine it. It is a story of grace. Now, I would love to say it's a story of diligence. We're getting there, right? But oh, let me tell you, the shadow of, of grace is way bigger than the shadow of diligence right now. Having John Newfeld on, all right, that, that shadow of diligence grew a little bit more. Oh, let me tell you, man, we, we, were, we were disorganized. I, when I became the pastor, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no ambitions to be a pastor. You know what I mean? And then, you know what opened the door for me to take on this position? It was grace. Pastor Sam Epen is an Indian guy who was here before me. He left to get married in Chicago. And so as he was leaving, the mother church, they needed someone else to take over the leadership. And so some names came up. And so they asked me, Christian, would you pray about serving as the lead pastor for this EM? And, you know, and under, when, it, when it first began, it was under the guise that it would just be temporary. This is a part-time position that I'll do for maybe a year or two until we find something, someone more permanent. So even when I said yes, in my own heart, even though I, God prophetically only showed me that I was supposed to go full-time, you know, sometimes I'm just slow. I just, I, I didn't process it. I didn't really believe it. So in my own heart, I thought I'll go full-time, continue with Campus Crusade later on, and I'll let this one go when somebody else comes in. And I took the position, and what I didn't know was God had given me an equipping grace of leadership, an empowering grace of signs and wonders. I didn't know that about me. When I was at Campus Crusade, I used to preach, I used to minister, I used to do discipleship, I used to do small groups. For whatever reason, all them supernatural things, it wasn't flowing, you know, that frequently then. 
But the moment the fullness of time came, and my Kairos moment, my appointed time came, and I step into this leadership position, signs and wonders, supernatural signs and wonders. People would just come forward for prayer, and I'll, and I'll just be like, God bless you. They start crying. Oh, that's powerful. How about you? Fire. Ah! I remember some of y'all right here. Y'all used to shake every week under the power of God. And all those types of things happening, it made people go, man, this guy's got to keep on doing this. It was a story of grace. Do you understand that? And because I didn't know what I was doing, I kept asking God for more of his grace. Because I was like, Lord, I don't know. I'm going week to week right now. Lord, give me some more grace. I need more of your grace. If I don't have your grace, man, I can't keep doing this. I'm going to look like a fool up here. I don't even know if people are going to embrace this ghetto accent that keeps coming out when I preach. I don't know why it comes out, Lord. Stop the ghetto accent! And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. The ghetto accent stays. You will frustrate those who comes in with PhD degrees. That a person with a ghetto accent can teach them something. I am pleased with this. My grace is sufficient. I don't know. I don't know. It was a story of grace. I'll tell you right now. And then, and then what happened was, it came for us to baptize people here. And so I presented it at the pastor's meeting at the KM. And I said, Pastor Huang, we, need to, we have a, about 30 people that want to be baptized. And that was including my wife. So they need to be baptized. What do you want to do about it? And he's like, oh, well, you definitely can't baptize them because you don't have a seminary degree and you're not even ordained. So bring them to the camp service and I'll baptize them. And, you know, at the mother church, only the senior pastor baptizes. At most Korean churches, only the senior pastor baptizes. If they find an associate pastor baptizing somebody in the bathtub, they will fire that person on the spot and be like, you, you're, you're walking in rebellion. You're threatening the leadership of the senior pastor. And that's the kind of like, that's the kind of fear and insecurity I think there is in the Korean church sometimes, right? And so he was like, I'll baptize them. And I said, all right. And I was in submission. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll tell them. All right. Some of them are, uh, by the way, they're white. You got a black guy there. They probably won't understand what you're saying in Korean. He said, I don't care. All right. A week passes. Kid you not, a week passes. I didn't say a single word. I didn't nag him. I didn't say nothing. I said, Lord, Lord, it would be nice if I can baptize, but I know that under this context, it's probably never going to happen. But Lord, I'll have my swimming trunks ready. (laughs) The very next week, Pastor Huang, you know what he said? The senior pastor? He said, Christian. Toward the end of the meeting, he was like, by the way, you. Oh, good. EM. Oh. You baptize. You baptize those 30 people. And then the, one of the other pastors, I won't name who it was, he's like, No, Moksan, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. You're not all this stuff. I don't know, he just saying all this stuff, whispering to him. And Pastor Huang was like, publicly like, Oh, God, God, God. He's a. Okay, EM pastor, you, you, you know, you, you, you baptize them. And then he said something very remarkable. He said, or, ordination doesn't come from man, it comes from God. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. Right? 
And a couple weeks later, we went to our leadership retreat, and I baptized like 30 people in this rushing, raging river. <laughs> so cold. And it was very dangerous. People's flip-flops were flowing down the stream. <laughs> very dangerous. And the worst part was Brian Wee came to the retreat mad late at like midnight. And then I was like, I'll baptize you tomorrow. He said, oh, can I get baptized today? I'm like, it's midnight. I almost died out there during the day. And he's like, he's like come on, Moksa, yeah, Christian, please. And then so I baptized him at midnight. Most people, most pastors baptizing, it's just, you know, it's just something that they earned their credentials. They got it already, so they, they're supposed to do it. But for us here at New Philly, it was a story of God's grace. The angels up there, they were like, oh, man, you hear what happened to Christian? <laughs> he thought he would never baptize nobody, and then God just did a switch of ruin. And the next thing you know, he's baptizing people in that Russian raging, raging river. <laughs> Same thing happened with communion. When we came to communion, they were like, oh, snap, communion is mad touchy. You know, it's one of those like sacraments in the Presbyterian Church. You don't mess with, you know, you don't mess with it, because there's been such a history of um, uh, controversy with communion and the interpretation of it. And so, you know, it was definitely going to be Pastor Huang going to come in, or we would have to go there and do communion. But you know, so it's so it's so inconvenient that way. So one day, once again, during one of these pastors' meetings, Pastor Huang says, "Christian, you got communion here." And I wanted to say, but Moksanim, I'm not ordained, you know? And he's like, you, you lead communion. Next, next Sunday, I led communion. And I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> this, did people see me the first time I did communion? I was like, what's the Bible verse again? <laughs> I thought it was in the Gospels, right? So I'm looking through the Gospels. I'm like, Gethsemane, where, where's the part about... Where's that? Uh, not knowing it's in Paul's letters, right? On the, on the night that Jesus Christmas, all that stuff, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I was mad disorganized. But man, heaven was getting a kick out of it because it was a story of God's grace. And you know what? We started from grace and we're going to continue in grace. In grace upon grace. This is a house that's shameless about receiving the grace of God. In fact, Without God's grace, we don't want to do what God's called us to do. Because it'll just be really foolishness. But with the grace of God, man, there's things that are going to blow our minds. God will do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. If we will learn to be shameless about His grace. Close your eyes with me. I don't know what kind of narrative that's being written in your, in your life. But today, God is inviting you into the tapestry of His grace. He's saying, check this out. The threads of your diligence have been weaving for yourself a beautiful 
beautiful garment. But let me show you what the thread of my grace can do. Let me show you. Immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. I invite you into grace. Grace upon grace. I feel like right now God's highlighting people in here that are actually in the ministry. You're visiting today and you're in ministry. You might be in full-time ministry, perhaps some kind of part-time ministry, or you're serving in your local churches back at home. You might be just visiting today or coming through, or you came from and you just moved to Korea and you used to serve at a church. I just feel like God's highlighting you guys today. I want you to stand up. If you're you're here and you're involved in the ministry, I want you to just stand up for a moment. I just want you to stand up for a moment. I feel like God has a word for you. Yeah. People who are involved in ministry, I want you to stand to your feet. Yeah. Come on, stand to your feet. Yeah. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. I just want you to close your eyes. Just listen for the voice of the Lord. This is not the, just the words of a man. This is the prophetic voice of the Lord going out to you. You who are standing here. The joy of the Lord sings over you today. For the Lord delights in your obedience. He delights in your faithfulness. And the Father just simply says, I'm so proud of you, son. I'm so proud of you, my daughter. Perhaps in your ministry, you felt like you're not doing enough or you feel like you're doing the wrong thing. You feel like you're not seeing the fruit that you hope to see. And the Father is simply saying over you today, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. It is my grace that abounds to you. It is my grace that abounds to you. And just where you are at right now, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is being poured out to you in greater and greater abundance. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The Father is so proud of you. Father is so proud of you. Don't be so hard on yourselves. Don't be so hard on yourselves. As you continue to speak forth the words of God, the word of God does not return void or empty. It's producing fruit. You're touching more lives than you know. And Father, I pray for every person standing right now, Lord. I pray for that Pentecost... Acts 2, 
baptism and clothing with power of your spirit experienced upon every person standing here right now, Lord. I prophesy that the power of the anointing is coming upon them. That they would, oh God, Lord, enter a new season of ministry that will be filled with anointing power and signs and wonders and great fruits unto your glory, Lord. Right now, Lord, just release and touch them with your fire, Lord. Release your fire upon them, God. No matter what context, no matter where they're placed, no matter if it's a conservative setting or setting that's open to the Spirit, it doesn't matter. God is not intimidated by the context in which you are in. The anointing flows. The anointing flows wherever it finds an obedient and faithful vessel. And so, Father, I just pray for even greater grace, empowering, equipping grace to be multiplied to these ministers today, Lord. So that, Lord, that they will enter into a new season of ministry with great joy. And they would also see more and more fruit to encourage them that indeed people will perceive that the grace to preach, the grace to disciple, the grace to evangelize is upon these just as Peter, James, and John perceived that that grace was upon Paul. May people perceive this upon them. Yes, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Yeah. You guys take your seats. Hallelujah. Father, I just pray for the whole house today, Lord. Lord, I pray for the people of God to be more diligent to be obedient to be hard working but I also pray that God that the shadow of grace in their lives will far surpass their own diligence and they will be unashamed of the stories of favor and grace that marks their lives the father says in your word in Ephesians chapter 2 that in the coming ages You want to show the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I pray that through this community, you would show the immeasurable riches of your grace. May this be a people of grace. People whose lives are filled with narratives of grace. Yeah, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. For you use the weak to shame the strong. You use the unlearned fishermen to preach the truth to the educated rabbi. Or you are the God who ordains praises on the lips of infants and you get delight and joy. Father, Make us liberal consumers of your grace, God. And may you do awesome and immeasurable things through our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.